see more innovation in packaging and processing at Pack Expo International than anywhere else in the world. It's the show that defines where the industry is headed, with the solutions that define where your business can go. Discover cutting-edge packaging technology, processing equipment, new materials, sustainable solutions, supply chain resources, and much, much more. You'll walk away with innovative solutions to challenges big and small. Register at PackExpoInternational.com. You're listening to Unpacked with PMMI, where we share the latest packaging and processing industry insights, research, and innovations to help you advance your business. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Unpacked with PMMI. I'm your host, Sean Riley. As someone who has covered the food and beverage industry for over 30 years, editor-in-chief of Pro Food World magazine, Joyce Fossil, was our obvious first stop when it was time to bring someone on the podcast who could sort through all the clutter and all the news and tell us what is really going on in food processing plants during COVID-19. Are they safe? Are they all shutting down because of virus spread? What are the plants doing to keep their workers and our food supply safe? Please sit back and listen as Joyce and I discuss. And with all the introductions out of the way, welcome to the podcast, Joyce. Thanks, Sean. How are you? I'm good. How have you been? Pretty good. Holding up during the pandemic. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a bit of a uh, sludge, I guess. Anyway, jumping in. How has food and beverage manufacturing been faring during the pandemic over the past six months? Well, Sean, um, there were a lot of concerns at the start of the pandemic about food and beverage companies not having enough PPE. Um, you know, we heard a lot about dwindling supply chains. Um, you know, what were we going to do about these uh, plant floor workers who were getting sick? Um, but, you know, if halfway into it and now where we are at this point, the food and beverage industry has really done quite well. In fact, about two months um, into the pandemic, Pro Food World did a reader survey, and it showed that most plants did have enough PPE at that point. Many were offering bonuses to their employees or increasing hourly wages for the plant floor workers. Supply chain issues did start to improve. I don't think at this point they're at the point where everyone's happy about it, but at least I think a lot of the processes are a lot more comfortable with the supply chain issues than they were a few months ago. And now food and beverage processors are, you know, embracing more robotics, more remote equipment access, and many others have addressed the pandemic with different types of equipment for employees. Like they have outdoor shelters so that when people are standing outside waiting for their uh, temperatures to be checked, you know, they're not out in the hot sun at this point. They put in additional lockers and break rooms for the employees to enhance uh, social distancing. And as we know, we've all seen this around and it's in food plants too, a lot more signage and a lot more plexiglass partitions. Right. Now, for something like the PPE in the beginning, was that a case where because it's used, the gloves, the masks, things like that might already be used in some of these facilities. Was that a case where they might have already had some on hand and enough to kind of get them through? Oh, yeah, they definitely have those types of things on hand. But with the whole cleanliness thing, they just needed more and more. Their suppliers weren't able to send them to them because they had to send them to hospitals and, right, right. you know, other frontline workers. But once we got past the first couple of months, it, you know, it was really okay with the PPA. I'll say we're, we're learning more and more about 
PPE, what was really needed. Good. And, in, you know, some areas it may not be needed in the plan, but, you know, we, right. they, they, you know, it was a little bit of a learning process for everyone. Sure. And it's kind of been, been that way for you and I and everybody else as well. So you would figure it would have to be um, in the plants. So how has COVID impacted food and beverage production facilities? Well, as, as we all know, COVID's continuing and um, food and beverage manufacturers have had to alter the way they do business, um, you know, shifting from the food service and restaurant focused products to, you know, more retail goods for consumers to buy at the supermarket. But they've also been employing a lot of new technology to help them. So um, we've seen a lot of new supplier technologies pop up. Uh, obviously, we've seen a lot more handheld um, temperature scanners, but there's also walkthrough temperature scanners. Um, I mentioned the outdoor structures, and you know they're going to become more important as we get towards the cold weather in the winter. There's been other things going on, such as sensors are being put on doors so people do not have to touch a door handle. Um, there, sometimes there's foot pedals. And anyway, anything to minimize people touching surfaces in the plant. There are also touchless time clocks. I haven't actually seen how those work, but I've heard about them. So when people are clocking in in the morning, they don't have to touch something. Uh, and obviously lots of plexiglass partitions are on the plant floor in between workers and also um, in the cafeterias. Um, another thing that came up for the first time during COVID was that uh, an organization called AIB International instituted a um, pandemic prepared certification. That's the first certification we've seen for anything like this in the food and beverage industry. So it works on um, critical planning for people, facilities and production. So AIB collaborated with government agencies, academia, top brands to develop proficiency areas that, you know, food and beverage processors can follow and take this course. And they cover like pandemic crisis management, supply chain management, planning management, health crisis mitigation, prerequisite programs, things like that. Another area of technology that we've seen is that Nestle has really expanded its augmented reality to remotely support its production and also its R&D sites, as well as connect with its suppliers. So Nestle and its suppliers are now using remote assistance tools like smart glasses. They're using 3D cameras, 3D software to work on projects at really facilities around the globe. So Nestle has set up these various um, augmented reality technologies to set up a redesigned production lines and carry out maintenance along with its suppliers. It's fantastic that it's almost a sort of a silver lining that they've kind of allowed remote monitoring and remote maintenance checks and things like that, where in the past they wouldn't have allowed it. Exactly. So you mentioned the government, and this is the thing that I'm thinking of um, mostly from obviously the meat and poultry industry was hit especially hard early on. And we're talking about something that we all need, food. Um, so it's not something where these places can go out of business or these things can can disappear because we need food. You know, humans need food and beverages to survive. So how has the government and the you know industry stakeholders reacted or kind of pitched in to or have they pitched in to kind of to help everybody through this? Yeah, they have pitched in, Sean. Um, FDA and OSHA recently uh, provided a checklist for FDA-regulated human and animal food operations to use when they're assessing their operations, you know, this time during the pandemic. And the, the checklist can be used, especially when they're restarting operations after a shutdown or when they're um, reassessing operations because of any changes that they made to their processes due to the pandemic. Now, some or all the checklists may not be useful to everyone in the food and beverage industry that, that's regulated by FDA, but there are lots of 
other things that people can do. They can go to the Centers for Disease Control. Um, they can go to OSHA and other state and federal local agencies to find out more information. All of these agencies are, are putting together protocols and checklists for the food and beverage industry. So FDA also has some human and food animal operations producing food that is subject to their regulation, but they're located in foreign countries. So they're subject to FDA regulations if they're selling food in the U.S., but they're not subject to OSHA requirements in this checklist. But the checklist does provide, you know, useful information for those foreign facilities that do make food um, for consumption in the U.S. The North American Meat Institute um, is another organization that's known to a lot of people as NAMI. So NAMI has um, partnered with the Department of Labor, and they've signed a two-year alignment to provide the NAMI members, public, and, and you know, anyone else who's interested with information and guidelines on um, training that will help protect food workers. And during this alliance, participants are going to be developing information on recognizing the coronavirus transmission risks and also the best practices for preventing transmission. Mm -hmm. They're also going to work on challenges for exposure control in meat packing and processing facilities. There's also going to be outreach going on to facilities, guidance and compliance assistance. Um, they're also going to have some insight consultation programs, and um, OSHA will also be providing information about their enforcement policies that are relevant to meatpacking and the food processing industry. Okay, very cool. So, you know, they are, like you said, pitching in to help. So with that, and you mentioned earlier some of the, the technologies that people are using, remote monitoring and augmented reality, things like that. Are there any other tools or best practices that food and beverage processors are using to get themselves through the pandemic? You know, things they've picked up, you know, as we are now, like you said, six months in this? Oh, yeah, there are, Sean, definitely. Um, I saw a Wall Street Journal report recently. It said that Tyson engineers are getting help from the auto industry to develop an automated deboning system to help butcher like the millions of chickens that they have to process each week. But Sadly, you know, we've had tens of thousands of meat and poultry processing workers, you know, across maybe half of the U.S. Um, that have been diagnosed with COVID. And um, the unions and also the food safety experts are saying this because of the working conditions in the plants that have placed the employees, you know, really close together. So what they've had to do is, you know, introduce these types of automated technology to process the meat and, and poultry, you know, place people further apart, slow down the lines, things like that to keep people safe, but also keep our, you know, meat and poultry supply going. The latest um, CDC research, which is in July, so more than 17,000 cases um, of COVID with U.S. meat and poultry plants in the U.S. So, you know, we do have a lot of work to do. But back to Titan, they've invested a half a billion dollars in technology and automation during the past three years. And now due to COVID, they're really beating up their efforts in, in uh, this area. Yeah. Um, so, the ongoing food and beverage processing industry workforce crisis is, you know, really a major force behind the pandemic's need for uh, more automation, more robotics. Other challenges faced by the industry, you know, the demand I mentioned earlier to produce more for grocery stores. And also food and beverage processors have to handle a lot of misinformation that's out there about what's really going on in the plant. So there's been a lot of PR uh, work going on. 
And then there's been the difficulty to forecast, you know, what, you know, in our supply chains, what kind of products we're going to need. But one um, bright spot is um, high pressure processing technology as far as what's going on in uh, food and beverage processing. And HPP has actually seen, you know, some growth in, in that market. So they're thriving as, you know, the consumers want fresh products. You know, HPP, you know, delivers delicious products that have a longer shelf life. So people are looking for more of these products, so they're working at home. Texas Food Solutions uh, boosts their success recently for HPP-demanded products that they're making. Um, and that um, don't know, HPP involves submerging packaged food and beverage in potable water and then applying pressure to um, pasteurize food and beverage products. And um, the pressure of this non-thermal pasteurization you know, destroys E. coli, listeria, salmonella, and then it extends the uh, shelf life of the product uh, while maintaining, uh, you know, nutrition and flavor. But in HPP, there's even been further developments that are really great recently. And we've seen the world's first commercial line for in-bulk high-pressure processing that really delivers, you know, the same qualities of flavor and nutrition and shelf life. But the process delivers increased output, cost savings, sustainability. And this was first instituted at a juice and smoothie producer in France called Herms Boisson. And the company was the, the first one to um, install an in-bulk high-pressure processing system. It allows them to produce HPP premium fresh-like juices in a very uh, highly automated way. Um, so in-bulk HPP, provides product stabilization, followed directly by bottling. It simplifies the procedure, uh, has less steps compared to traditional HPP. So HPP in bulk eliminates these steps so that the, the product doesn't have to be in the package. It can go directly from the vessels and tanks and the processing system right into the fillers. So um, that has actually been one of the most popular articles on uh, Pro Food World this year. Um, it was in our August issue. And um, if anyone would like to uh, take a look at it, the article is called In Bulk HPP Juices Up Fresh Quality for French Firm. And you can find that on profoodworld.com. And that's a good time to plug our, our own um, cold pressure council that obviously works with companies that are involved in HPP. And that's good to hear that that is something that kind of emerged from this as a positive, you know, people that are implementing that technology. So I guess, I guess what would you, you've noted some of them already and probably you might have said all of them, but what, what are some other challenges that you kind of see in the, the near future or maybe even long term for the food and beverage industry? Well, Sean, we, you know, we've talked about this shift to, you know, more in-home dining, you know, and that's going to continue for the foreseeable future. But this week, you know, we heard some hard news from Coca-Cola, you know, one of the largest food companies in the world having to restructure and um, announce layoffs, most likely due to like soda fountain sales because, you know, people aren't eating in restaurants. And then last month, in an effort to cut costs, Coke announced um, that they were cutting underperforming brands, you know, packaging and products and flavoring that really are not delivering the returns that they want. So, the, I mean, the pandemic has caused a lot of food companies to cut back on product offerings, you know, really to simplify the supply chain, you know, while they still can meet the demand for consumer products. Um, another challenge is that many food manufacturers are still not allowing um, visits from outside vendors, you know, who normally would assist them with production issues. And still there's lots of travel bans with some equipment and service supplier companies themselves. However, there's a lot more use of technology on the plant floors. So plant maintenance staff are now able to actually FaceTime with vendors to solve equipment downtime issues. Um, remote equipment access and, and diagnostics, as we mentioned, 
Now that's also growing um, to keep equipment up and running. And in fact, um, PMMI's OPEX Leadership Network has a work tool and guidelines that provide, you know, the common pros and cons of, you know, the various methodologies that manufacturers can uh, put in place to um, use remote diagnostic, you know, access to, to their equipment. <laughs> Finally, Sean, I'd say one of the biggest challenges our industry faces is the ongoing labor crisis and food and beverage companies really need to find more ways to make food manufacturing jobs more attractive for workers. Yeah. Um, COVID-19 actually has accelerated this. You know, we've seen some extra pay in some cases, more health benefits to the workers, but employee engagement and training are critical to solving this ongoing manufacturing crisis. I mean, this has been going on for like 20 years and it just seems to get even more intense. So we've seen, you know, more exciting tools like augmented reality and more advanced, you know, automation, they're making their way to the plant floor. So I'm hoping that this technology and automation um, excitement will attract more workers to the food and beverage industry. And obviously that would be fantastic. It seems to be a manufacturing thing in general where there's this workforce crisis where the jobs aren't positioned as well or the pictures that are painted of the jobs aren't as well to to draw in, you know, a younger workforce or a workforce that wants to look to it as more of a career. And perhaps, like you said, some of these tools will make it more, um, you know, tech savvy and things that people would be interested in doing. Yeah, I believe giving the employees more ownership of their jobs and working in teams and being more engaged and, and, you know, really feel like they're making a contribution. And I know that's going on in a lot of food companies, but we have to find a way to, you know, really improve that and, and roll it out further. Especially, you know, during a pandemic where they are our, you know, frontline workers that are out there that work, you know, while everybody's homes. Because again, without food and beverages, we're not surviving as humans. So it is, right. yeah, exactly. it is obviously a very important position that we need good people to fill. Well, with that, um, I, I can't thank you enough um, for taking time out of your day to sit down and kind of kind of talk us through this, what, what's going on, and we can hope to happen in the future with this. So again, everyone continue to read Joyce at uh, profoodworld.com. And thanks again, Joyce. Thanks, Sean. Really appreciate the opportunity. Please rate, review, and subscribe. To do that, go to the iTunes podcast or Spotify app on your phone and search for Unpacked with PMMI.